Um, I'm not sure how to say this, but we have some breaking news. Mr. Clean is dead. An American icon has passed away. Je m'appelle Palais Algérie, Monchon, Galafon, Gérou, Algérie, Lépis, Golaflana, Monsieur Klein, Palais passé away. The lower Manhattan Gambinos sat in their locker room, hours before Game 7 was scheduled to start, reeling from the news that their captain had died the night before. They were voting on whether or not they should forfeit Game 7. Chief among those calling for the forfeit was Game 7's scheduled starter, Scooter Mandela, who had been masturbating when he heard the news of Mr. Clean's death, and his guilt meant he held himself personally responsible. Meanwhile, in the Pickers locker room, another meeting was taking place. But this one was far more sinister. With their star player in a coma, with the World Series on the line, Reverend Roper and the Brethren sprung into action. The Brethren swapped their gold tragedy masks for red comedy masks with horns on them. They were addressed by the Reverend, donning a scream mask from a movie that had not even been written yet which makes the fact that he was wearing it even more spooky. The Reverend was reported to have said, Our star Opie shines so bright, it requires three other stars to fuel it. All of this is in the Bible, by the way. Tragedy in the music world today. Two members of the band Groovy World have died after their plane crashed into the Bermuda Triangle. But as news about the crash continued to trickle in, the story became more and more bizarre. A fire has broken out outside the Holy Cow Stadium and megachurch as firefighters seem to be putting out... Is that a giant wooden guitar? We are now receiving word that inside the giant wooden guitar that caught fire outside the Holy Cow Stadium and megachurch was a suicide note from the members of the band Groovy World, whose plane crashed into the Bermuda Triangle earlier today. The note reads, We just don't feel like partying anymore, baby, so now we gotta die. P.S. Tell Money McDonald's that we are sorry, and he was always the most talented of the three of us. When I heard that Octopus and Michael Imperioli had their candles snuffed out, I was shocked. I was 20 states away at the time with an airtight alibi and not anywhere near the airplane hangar that the plane took off from. I heard the news and I turned to one of the ladies I was with on my yacht and I told her, music has died. I will never lay in bed with my muses and conceive of song children again. Two weeks later, Money McDonald's released his Grammy-winning musical tribute, Groovy Angels Kissing God on the Lips in Heaven. An hour after the plane crashed, something incredible happened. Opie White woke up. Opie White has come out of his coma. He will be available for tonight's game. When he woke up, I felt a chill, because whatever he did to return to this earth blurred the line between the living and the dead. Each day that passes, the living resemble dead men walking. And the dead can't leave well enough alone. Thank God Opie's okay. God? <laughs> Son, God is staying far away from this one. God washed his hands of this a long time ago. What just happened in that room is a result of something awful. Something that took place in the dark. 
Where will Opie be in the batting order tonight? Third. And even still, more stuff was happening at the same time. In the Gambino's locker room, tempers were flaring over whether they should play tonight. Until, as Barnsley Thug told us, Well, we was having a bit of a fight over whether or not we should play tonight. What with all the death and all. And then was Ricky the Weasel. And his face was all pink on account of he was eating a bunch of cotton candy. So we all started laughing. And then we stopped laughing because Carmine Gambino walked in after him. According to multiple sources, Carmine was very kind. He said what happened today was a tragedy and that the Gambinos should go out there and win. Not for themselves, but for their dead friend. It was a beautiful speech. We were all ready to go after that. But then Ricky the Weasel started talking. All the players were nodding, which I took as them not quite understanding what Carmine was saying. So I decided to make things a bit more clear. I walked into the bathroom with a crowbar in one hand and a stack of firecrackers in the other, and I started throwing the firecrackers down the toilets and busting all the pipes. Immediately, the locker room began to flood. This ruined a lot of people's clothes, and I said, look, we got a bit of a dash boot situation on our hands, and we need to all get topside. So we all fled to the hallway by the dugout, and I said, hey, since we're all here. The Gambinos were ready to play, and the crowd was very ready. The seats in Nashville were jam-packed, and one could easily make out thousands of brethren and men in bowler hats. Well, I say it's a damn near a powder keg here in the Holy Cow Stadium ain't making church. I've seen more guns in the crowd than I've ever seen in Nashville, which is usually a lot. Nobody better do anything to set this place off. That was me, I'm sorry. I do that when I'm nervous. The game was set to get underway, but not before the Reverend decided that instead of playing the national anthem, he would play something else. Play ball. As that was playing, the pickers took the field. Wasn't that a lovely rendition of our national anthem? God bless this great country. And here come the pickers out to field for the top of the first. Just about everyone is out. And here comes their last player, Opie White, making his return from a coma and it looks like he is floating out onto the field. His feet are not touching the ground. His eyes are black, jet black. I'm sure it's nothing. Few people agreed on the events of Game 7, but everyone remembers seeing Opie. There he was, floating six inches off the ground out to the outfield, both of his eyes completely black, with lime green liquid dripping out of his mouth. Elliot Van Leer watched him float directly by the mound. I said to him, we're glad you're back, kid. I dare say we got this. He looked at me, and his mouth opened up just a tad, and I immediately went deaf. 
When he closed his mouth, my hearing returned. I ran down to our on-deck circle, right where Burt Reynolds was sitting, and I said, Bertie, Booby, I'm going to get myself taken out of this game. You're going to meet me outside the clubhouse in your Jaguar, and we are going to drive west until we hit Vegas. Bring whichever women you want to save. And Bert said, Nashville? I thought this was a music town. And we laughed and laughed. The stadium was silent. The cameras were on. The spotlight was on both teams and their organizations. And several government agencies had started to take a little bit of an interest after the half dozen or so deaths surrounding Game 6. Brethren and Gambino button men sat in adjacent seats throughout the stadium, each waiting for the other to make the first move. That's when the Reverend got on the PA. Bolgesnail Ahabgadoris, people of Nashville. You are all witnesses to a great becoming. A new age has begun. The bloodletting of the world commences to cure us and correct us of our bodily humors. We shall repel the leeches from our body and walk forever in heaven with Christ and the other seven gods. Also, stick around after the game for a concert from Billy Joel. With that, the fans, cult members, hitmen, and both teams settled in for Game 7. There is no conclusive evidence for everything that happens next. All testimony you will hear comes from conflicting personal accounts of people who could not come to terms with what they saw. And in official record, none of this ever happened. Hey listener, do you want to get jacked? Or are you depressed? Cure your depression forever by working out with our friend Dan. Dan is a real guy who I work out with a lot, who is really good and is offering personal training sessions. And guess what? He's paying us. That's right. This is not a bit. This is a real ad that we're doing for you. We are finally starting to dig ourselves out of the massive financial hole this podcast has put us in. You notice how good this shit sounds, right? This isn't easy. We're not doing this in the voice memo app. This costs money, a lot of money. And seriously, Dan is a real guy. Look him up on Instagram. He will work out with you over FaceTime if you're not in LA. And if you are in LA, you can work out with him in our other friend's driveway. There are two enormous dogs walking around. There's a pull-up bar. There's a bench. There's assorted weights that were probably stolen from LA Fitness. If you want to box, there's boxing stuff. It's awesome. And so are the FaceTime workouts. It's just so nice to finally be getting paid for this. We have put like countless hours into this. We've neglected other very important aspects of our lives to make this podcast. And and $25 might not seem like a lot of money because it isn't, but it just feels good to finally start digging up instead of down. Again, Dan is real. This is a real ad. Look him up on Instagram at NotBadDan. He's not wearing a shirt in a lot of his pictures. That's on purpose. $25. Hell yeah. This is so awesome. But yeah, please DM Dan on Instagram. The Gambinos went down in order in the top of the first, despite the fact that Elliot Van Leer was doing his best to get pulled from the game. He threw nine straight 54-mile-an-hour fastballs right down the middle, recording the first-ever immaculate inning in a World Series. In the bottom of the first, the Pickers faced a still very distraught Scooter Mandela who was still operating under the belief that his masturbation had killed his friend Mr. Clean. 
Leadoff hitter Trey Lunch started with a solo home run, giving the Pickers the early 1-0 lead. Sam Danwich hit a very weak ground ball into the infield that burst through the grass, embedding itself in the soil and emitting a small cloud of steam. This stunned Sam Danwich, giving Gambino's catcher, Richard Brody, enough time to pull the ball from the earth and throw to first. Next up was Opie White, who was intentionally walked. Buddy Dwyer sprinted out of the dugout and pleaded at his pitcher to walk him. Opie White floated to first, and the only time his feet touched the ground, according to first baseman Barnsley Thug, was when he actually reached the bag. Immediately afterwards, Teddy Kruns lined out to Barnsley Thug, who put his foot down on the bag before Opie could float back down to it, resulting in an inning-ending double play. Both teams went down in order in the second inning. During the top of the second, Barnsley Thug and Leroy Brown attempted to rile up their team by fighting in the dugout. I don't really know what happened outside of the dugout, but I said to Leroy, why don't I get the lads going and we duff each other up? So we started swinging at each other, and after a while, don't know who it was, someone threw a pizza slice like a frisbee, and it went straight out of a dugout and hit one of the gold guys. We started fighting the fat bloke in the suit, in the stands, and we all just hid in the dugout. I don't know what happened in the stands, just that we heard a chainsaw, people were throwing knives, and after a minute, a severed hand fell in the dugout. During this commotion, something happened in the Gambino's broadcast booth. Well, there seems to be a bit of a kerfuffle happening on the third baseline. Someone should really get down there. Nobody fucking move! You step back from that fucking mic, Timmy! I don't want to kill you! I mean, yes I do! As badly as I want to do anything! But just not right now! John, please! Who will take care of my turtle? I will, you stupid asshole! And I'll love it better than you ever could! But right now I need you to get back from the microphone because I'm calling this game! What the fuck is happening in this game? I was just about to get to it. You'll talk when I tell you to, but right now I want you to dance. Do a little spin. Say I'm a little princess, Timmy. I'm a little princess. Yeah, that's what I'm fucking talking about. After several minutes, security was able to quell the violence in the stands and the game got back underway. In the top of the third, the Gambinos were able to tie the game after Pickers starter Elliot Van Leer completely gave up on throwing strikes, instead walking five straight batters. Cedric Entertainer then walked out to the mound, gave Elliot a kiss on the cheek, all the money in his wallet, and told him that he would see him again, not in this life, but in one farther down the road. Game 3 starter Mervyn Rumford came out in relief. Instead of going to the mound from the bullpen, he took the long way out into the stands. At least seven fans claimed to have shared a beer with Mervyn before he made it out to the mound. Mervyn pitched a great inning. On the broadcast, you can hear him yelling out questions to his teammates on the infield. Like, why is the sky yellow? Why is Opie White floating? Why are the frowny face mask guys now wearing smiley face masks? After striking out Leroy Brown, he can be heard shouting, Oh, I know why. I'm fucked up. 
I am shit-wasted off gin, and that's why all of this is happening. And then he fell over. And Dr. Cassidy punched a train, drove out onto the field in a golf cart that was done up like a Mardi Gras float, threw him in the back, and drove the golf cart into the dugout. The next few innings were cagey, featuring strong pitching matchups between the Pickers' bullpen of Mutter Liriano, DSA Beauregard, and the like, against Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Hyung. Opie White was intentionally walked during his first at-bat. During the seventh inning stretch, a strange moment happened. A moment that surprised everybody, except for Buddy Dwyer. If you didn't know that there was about to be heaven on earth, you were a fucking idiot. I knew it all the way back in the third inning, when all the numbers on the scoreboard momentarily morphed into the seven dark symbols of the black angel. I knew about those from going to pagan sex rituals in the basement at Goldman Sachs. I wasn't there for the fucking. That stuff has never interested me. I just hung out by the open bar. You know how company parties go. According to Buddy Dwyer's account, which was delivered during a commencement address at Wharton College in 2001, in that moment, everybody in the stadium turned red. The sky didn't turn red. That's not what I fucking said. I said that everybody, the fans, the players, the freaks in the masks, all turned red. And I turned to Travis Barker and I said, Hey, dipshit, an angel's about to show up. And guess what? I was fucking right. Here is what apparently happened next. After Dr. Cassidy Ponchtatrain drove the Mardi Gras golf cart into the dugout, the heavens opened and an angel appeared on the field. The angel delivered an address that was one high-pitched hum. Apparently, some people didn't hear a hum. And those people immediately got up and left. Among them Barnsley Thug, Mel Nash, Ken Opener, Sam Dandwich, Ken Burns, Alan Woody, and unfortunately Carl Carter. Also among those who left was the band who was supposed to perform Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh inning stretch, Rush. So Rush survived, which sucks. All this according to Buddy Dwyer's commencement address. At that point, I told Travis, you're promoted, Chachi. And I went down into my office in the locker room, set a timer for two hours, grabbed a bottle of scotch and revolver, and aimed it at the door. And that's why I'm here today, giving this speech. Now, what can you all learn from this, class of Wharton College 2001? Uh, not sure. Try to do that kind of stuff. Try to be like that. Try to be a fucking math genius. Like me, Buddy Dwyer. The game should have ended a bunch of times before this, and it definitely should have ended there. But instead, play resumed. And what happened next defied all laws of science, nature, and religion. Opie White steps into the box. Well, not steps, floats. He's still floating. Nope, he's on the ground now. How about that? He must mean business. Judge Gideon winds and delivers. Opie White smacks one in the center field. Leroy Brown takes off and is, oh, Lord, he ran right into the Dolly Parton performance stage. Opie rounds first in a freakish golem-like gait. Same arm, same leg, but all very jerky like a marionette. He is hauling ass. Sleepy Goodnight collects and throws in the second where Opie slides. Oh my God, Jesus fucking Christ. You seeing this, Timmy? Mother of God, this is awful. I'm gonna hurl. 
Timmy, get over here and make your hands like a bowl so I can puke in them. Both of the radio broadcasts go in and out. The Pickers dugout is running out of the field. Opie's fucking neck is backwards. He looks like a candy cane. Holy shit. This is so scary. Saman Suleiman just threw up on the infield grass. The brethren are dancing with joy. Bob Clunker was the first Pickers player to reach Opie. Or so he says in his only account of this night, written two years into his stay in a mental institution where he would be placed in the days following the game. Apparently, Opie's neck was craned completely back, and his head was where a backpack would be. Despite this, he was still able to speak to Bob. Bob wrote that he heard Opie say, Win this one for me. For me. For me. But we caught a fragment of the Marshall's broadcast where you can faintly hear... That's ancient Sumerian for the demon, the demon, the demon is within me. Bob Clunker's diary entry continues. Opie's tongue then exploded into a red mist, and a force went through all of us that felt as if Opie's tongue was an atomic bomb, and we were all Japanese. Man, this is 1979. Why is Bob Clunker using the one metaphor from 1946? How old was he? He would have been like two. Whatever. Quote, the clouds began to turn into shapes and eventually into men. I heard the reverend and the brethren screaming, the white brothers, the white brothers. Clunker describes what looked like Opie's huge brothers riding the family cows out of the sky. The great figures circled the field before one of the brothers picked Opie up, put him over the cow, and carried him up to heaven. We initially dismissed this as the ravings of a madman. But after we read that, we began to have the same identical dream, where we were visited by a man who looked like David Isaacs, who told us that he had inception technology and that we needed to go to the tunnels underneath the Denver airport. At the Denver airport, Will distracted the guards by doing that gallons of milk YouTube prank thing where he pretended to slip and threw milk everywhere. And during that commotion, I went into the tunnels. There I was met by Pat Tillman, who handed me a vinyl record and told me it had the answers we were looking for. And you're about to hear it. Talk to someone afterwards. Maybe a priest. There is a giant Balrog-type demon from Lord of the Rings in the sky, and the men from the clouds riding on cows are circling it. I'm shooting my gun not out of delight at a homer, but as a United States federal marshal defending you, the listener. You are all under arrest! The demon that appeared where Opie ascended threw a fireball at the marshal's press box. He was completely vaporized, and all they found the next day were his two cowboy hats. The fucking red guy in the clouds just blew up Marshall Marshall! Holy fucking shit! The Reverend is leading a phalanx of brethren the home plate. Many of the brethren are gutting themselves and offering their organs as tribute to the Lord of the Rings monster. The Reverend has a bullhorn. A basil, gug, manerna, zigzel, ba, my king. Long have we awaited your arrival. Can I interest you in this beautiful gold throne for you to sit on? 
as well as $15 million. Yes, that's right. Come take a seat. We'll have one of the cigarette girls bring you a highball. Wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, what are you doing? Hey! Oh, God, I, I can't watch this. Timmy, watch this for me. Well, it seems as though the demon has produced a big laundry type thing and he's scooping up most of the brethren and the reverend and is now ascending back into the sky. I had a dream like this once. Had me yelping. All the warm milk in the world couldn't put me back to sleep. Fans were mostly gone by this point, and none of them would remember this event the next day as it was free beer night, and every single fan reported being blackout drunk roughly around after the fifth inning. Why was it free beer night on Game 7 of the World Series? The Reverend loved having two things, double the entertainment. In this case, all the bush light you could drink and a demon from the sky. The Gambino's mobsters can be heard firing gunshots at Opie's Cloud Brothers, who responded by stepping on them. Only some of the players still there had made it to the locker rooms. Still, others were crouched in the picker's dugout, prevented from escaping by the Mardi Gras golf cart wedged in the dugout by Dr. Cassidy Ponchdetrain. On the broadcast, you can hear the surviving brethren holding a rally of sorts on the pitcher's mound before running around in a frenzy trying to kill everyone in the stadium. Pitchforks and baseball bats clash in between brethren and players fighting for their lives. The fight kills several bench players, including Travis Barker, Nick Country, Michael Who's on first, and even Ben Laden. When I heard Ben Laden died, I cried for hours. And then, all at once, Opie's Cloud Brothers retreated, and there is some confused religious silence, like when a priest coughs too long during church. All right, all right. I think it's over. Timmy, stop crying. I got some milk for you. Get over here. Thank you, John. Hey, somebody's here. Who the... Hey. David Isaacs. Ain't you the bum pitcher from game four? Thought they would have sent you down to Mexico by now. What are you doing here? Why are you wearing skin-tight black clothes and a gun? Who are all these guys with you? Why are they wearing night vision goggles? Why do they have machine guns? Why do the machine guns have silencers on them? What do they have all those flashbang grenades for? Why do two of them have one of those really big machine guns? You know, like from World War II, where it takes one guy to shoot it and another guy to feed it bullets. Why are there more guys now coming down from the ceiling on strings? Wait a second. Oh no. What now, Commander Ludlow? What do you think? No witnesses. We're the CIA. It's what we do. Me and Nate aren't going to make you listen to 45 straight minutes of mass murder, but it is fucked up. A couple hours later, with news media gathered outside, Buddy Dwyer and Cedric Entertainer emerged, covered in blood, and announced that both teams had forfeited. They said they agreed at the exact same time to forfeit so that no one team could say that the other team forfeited first. They said on one, two, three, forfeit. 
And then they were led onto a bus with a few other surviving players, such as Sleepy Goodnight, Francis Bipoc, and Colby Bryant. And they were driven to a hospital where they received treatment for three years. The next day, the 1979 World Series began between the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates, the two blandest teams in baseball. Do you know how that series ended? Does it matter? When the commissioner, Paul Giamatti's dad, was asked about the series between the Pickers and the Gambinos, he replied, Are you nuts? What are you talking about? Are you on Gange? He denied it so many times that the media just gave up on asking and started filling in their own stories. Trey Lunch got killed by a bus. John Drama murder-suicided Timmy Wife for sleeping with his ex. Marshall Marshall Wayne went on a forever vacation. Ted Roper and the Brethren moved to Costa Rica and started an autonomous zone like in Seattle. Evidence that both teams ever existed slowly began to disappear. The Holy Cow Stadium and megachurch was demolished and turned into a school for deaf kids. To this day, the deaf kids play on the satanic killing fields. Many have reported hauntings. The Marlboro Camel Stadium was located on top of World Trade Center Tower 7. And on 9-11, the building was burned down by the mob for the insurance money. Yeah, I got there and I was like, gee, lucky us. What are the odds? But yeah, 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 so sad, so sad. That is from Ricky the Weasel's trial. As for Ricky, he was indicted for the murder of Carmine Gambino in 2017. Look, did I kill Carmine? Sure. Hey, hey, why is a prosecutor fist pumping right now? Stop, stop celebrating right now. You did not win, okay? I'm just explaining what happened. Carmine was allergic to peanuts. He told me that a lot of times. But I misheard him, and I thought that he said he wasn't allergic to peanuts. So I fed him a bunch of peanuts over the span of a few months. It was sort of a long-term poisoning. And it wasn't a sex thing like in Phantom Thread. Have you guys seen Phantom Thread? I found it very difficult to latch onto anything in the movie. It was cold and pornographic without being titillating. You can't really see the passion in it, which is funny considering the whole movie is about passion. And while we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson, when are we going to admit that Magnolia and Boogie Nights are not as good as everybody remembers? Am I going to jail? And that, listeners, is the real story of what happened during the 1979 World Series. A story that captivated us and hopefully captivated you. And rest assured, if there's another story with odd characters, political intrigue, dastardly crimes, and the presence of demons, we'll be there to take a closer look.